most living organisms, even bacteria, cannot survive or reproduce alone, the mammalian nervous system is a special case of needing other, a functionally supportive social environments necessary. Myron Hofer called this hidden regulators. There's stuff going on when we're around other. How do we know? Mostly we know what happens when we take away other substitutions occur. The absence of another may, may be associated with abuse of drugs, food, mental dysfunctions, even depression, illness, shutdowns, and even death. The need for social bonds and social support, of course, is not limited to humans. And we've tried, as we've built this new science of social behavior, we've come up with the problem of what do we mean and where does it come from. I know I'm preaching to the choir here when I tell you that the constructs are all best understood in the context of their evolutionary importance, their adaptive importance for survival and reproduction. Survival is the first law of nature. It's important that we are not alone. Sociality has survival benefits, and of course, there's safety in numbers. Where did all this sociality come from in humans? How does it sort of bubble up? Well, part of it is the mechanisms for relationships can be seen first in the parent-child interaction. Social bonds form when there's sexual behavior. They form when there's adversity, when there's need for other. And, of course, they first appear most clearly in the presence of the mother-infant interaction or the father-infant interaction, but especially associated with birth and lactation. And this was the logic that led me to study the system that we're going to talk about. The evolutionary prototype, I would argue, for social support then is the parent-child interaction and mammalian sociality. You can see this with your eyes. You don't need to be a scientist to understand how important this is. Yeah. Even asocial mammals, like orangutans, will show high levels of social interactions with their own offspring. So we've, I, I don't want to belabor this point, but where we're going from this is to say that parenting's not limited to the mother, unless perhaps this is Mr. Obama's love child, and we're pretty, <laughs> pretty, pretty sure it's not. Uh, <laughs> So going after the biology of this has led me, personally at least, to talk about and think about this really exciting neuropeptide known as oxytocin. It plays a role in sex, birth, parental behavior, lactation, and we don't know what it is. So I'm going to ask over and over, what can we, how can we understand it? What's oxytocin? It's central to the biology of social behavior now. We know there's social bonds social support and sexual behavior, as well as other more obvious things like birth and lactation. Oxytocin administered in an intranasal spray has become sort of the thing to do in science these days. There are literally hundreds of these studies, starting in Europe and now spreading all over the world. They show very exciting, I think, important findings, such as reductions in the so-called stress axis, the HPA axis. Uh, increases in measures of trust, increased attention to social stimuli, increased social co connectiveness, brain activity in regions associated with social behavior, decreases in fear. Oxytocin seems to help make you socially bold. 
then we're back to this sort of evolutionary question. How did we get this one hormone with so many functions? Historically, of course, breastfeeding is a method for communicating between a baby and the mother. But in this iconic picture, I think, this was, I believe, Henri V, I'm not sure, uh, his mistress. But she, did, she wanted herself painted nude. She often had this done. And in the background is the wet nurse, because there was no other way to feed that baby until very modern times, really the last century. So we have an extremely interesting model, an oxytocin model, that we can build upon lactation. And that's where I really started my own research on this, studying lactating women. Lactation, I believe, allows the mother to, main, to manage stress more effectively. She's less reactive or more appropriately reactive to stressors, including the stressful stimuli that come along with child rearing. And also, oxytocin and the events of birth and lactation make a physiological shift, sort of a buffer, between pregnancy and the postpartum period. And I think that a lot of this is oxytocin-based. So what happens, breastfeeding reduces reactivity to stressors. We showed this many years ago with a collaborator, Marty Altimus, especially in, this, in the face of a stressor. In this case, it was exercise. We found enhanced immune responses in lactating women, in the breastfeeding women white blood cell proliferation in response to a mitogen in blood taken outside the body. So the blood itself already had the capacity to be different in a breastfeeding woman. So this is the magic mo molecule, oxytocin. It was one of the molecules of the decade or something <laughs> recently. Someone made a list and put it at the top. And I think it's more important than we've ever, ever begun to understand. It's a very simple molecule. It has a ring and a tail. Again, it was thought to be a female reproductive hormone, and I don't think that helped the research. I think that this actually relegated oxytocin to sort of not that important until people realized men have it, and they have a lot of it, and it really matters. And then it <laughs> took off, OK? But we thought it was something to do with uteruses and breasts, and that just was not that interesting. OK. <laughs> However, it's been known for a long time that oxytocin was made primarily in the nervous system, in the brain, in very large cells known as magnocellular neurons. And as we, this research has grown, and I wish I had time to tell you the full story, we now know that oxytocin affects social behavior, and especially probably through the autonomic nervous system. It's also a part of the immune system. Oxytocin's an adaptive molecule. It protects and heals the body in the face of challenge. So it has this very interesting set of properties. And I'll argue here today that it also is one of the components that allowed us to be here today, that it was necessary for the evolution of the human nervous system. This, is, this should have been a turtle, not a crocodile, but I borrowed this from the internet. So you get the idea. It's a reptile. And the, our ancestor, which was back here, of course, we are not descendant from crocodiles or, or any modern reptiles. But oxytocin starts to play a very important role as we get into the primate sort of line that led to primates. What it's doing, I would suggest to you, is it allowed the transition from reptile to mammal. 
It permits the birth, helps to, it doesn't cause birth, but it permits it. It helps to expel the big-brained baby from the uterus. It permits post-birth nutrition, supports the baby, helps with lactation, maternal behavior, and even alloparent parenting, as was discussed. In other words, others, including even fathers, may be able to release or be triggered to release oxytocin in the face of the baby. It facilitates the oxygenation of the brain by being part of the myelinated vagus that then allows this big cortex to exist. And therefore, I would suggest to you that it permits human cognition and social behavior to exist. Of course, you've seen a better, better versions of this. We have all kinds of special problems, big sort of bony brains, skulls. We try walking upright. Our, our pelvis is designed for that and it's not very good at giving birth. There are, there's evidence in mice that you don't even have to have oxytocin to give birth, but I think humans with all of these problems may be more dependent than rodents. So we've got to get that large-headed baby outside. We've got to take care of it. There's actually a role for oxytocin in pregnancy, infant nutrition, maternal behavior, paternal behavior, alloparental behavior, and the extended nurture that's necessary for an immature human to have the time it needs, again, we've learned today, to grow up. It doesn't work alone. It has a partner, arginine vasopressin. These evolved, these two molecules evolved before at the ancestral point. They were present even before the split from, from vertebrate to invertebrates. Uh, but our reptilian ancestor, which I've said I, I believe is supposed to have been a turtle uh, for mammals, has the did not probably have the capacity for social engagement. This came along as we became mammals. And that social bonding and social engagement depended upon adaptations that seemed to be related to both oxytocin and vasopressin. We won't have time to go through all the characteristics of these, but oxytocin's basic profile or motif is prosociality, sharing, relaxation and allowing recovery or immobility without fear, passive behaviors rather than active behaviors. Possibly chronically, it's playing an extremely ro important role in healing. And it's part of the parasympathetic nervous system, which then shunts oxygen to the cortex. Vasopressin, a very similar molecule, but with a very different set of properties, is associated with territoriality, vigilance, mobilization, more active solutions to problems. Acutely, it's very protective, and it's part of the sympathetic nervous system. Now, the sympathetic-parasympathetic break is not as simple as I'm making it, but working together, what we had is a kind of dance between oxytocin and vasopressin with oxytocin facilitating social engagement, vasopressin more associated with defense of self and other, and other might be a baby, it might be a mate, and so forth. So this is not quite as simple as we would like. And people, of course, are making whole professions out of studying now oxytocin and empathy, oxytocin compassion, oxytocin and um, mindfulness, you name it. Vasopressin, a little less popular, but associated with extremely important things like vigilance, territoriality, arousal, perhaps overarousal, anxiety, a number of disorders may have a vasopressin story. 
Of course, we got that big brain, but we didn't give up a lot of the underlying core. And the problem we have as humans is we would like to tell our nervous system what to do. But so much of the information is coming from old parts of the brain, and it's coming up. There's not that much downstream information proportionally going through the system. So the old parts of the nervous system are still there and can influence the modern nervous system. It is very hard to just say no to certain kinds of things that go on that are part of these adaptive old systems. So we really need to understand them. It's, this is the reason, though, that cognition is very difficult to use to control emotion. So what's oxytocin? Well, it's a metaphor for safety. It works through the autonomic nervous system in part. It can be regulated by social stimuli and experience. And these effects do differ. The actual amount of the hormone may not differ very often between males and females, but the functions seem to. And the capacity for these experiences and the use of oxytocin we're now seeing is epigenetically regulated. So experience in early life especially can alter how that system is working. One of the most, to me, exciting things that's, being, that's coming out of the literature is that oxytocin, which is made primarily in the brain, released into, into the brain and into the spinal cord, but also into the blood, seems to be playing a major role in healing and the capacity of the body to heal itself. And this is just a laundry list of things that have recently been shown. Injured skin, burns, heart, heart disease possibly, bones, intestines, brain, stroke, mental disorders. Now oxytocin may have some general properties like anti-inflammatory and antioxidant properties that help to explain these effects. Physiologically, it's easiest to study these sorts of things in small rodents. Uh, socially monogamous species are particularly helpful. I've been working for the last 30 odd years with prairie voles. <coughs> this species can be studied in nature and in the laboratory, and they do form long-lasting pair bonds. We found this in field studies in the 1980s. Those studies led to kind of a cottage industry of, of uh, prairie bowl work, which I'm really excited about. And I, I thank all the people who have been working on these now. It's, it's quite exciting. The first thing we saw was that when animals were mating, they formed pair bonds more quickly. And that was, for me, the first cue. That was how my brain processed oxytocin must be involved, because it had already been shown that oxytocin was released by sex. Now, the prairie vole has some amazing qualities. In addition to the ability to form pair bonds and be highly social, they have biparental care. The father helps take care of the baby. There's alloparenting. They do indeed have about four times more oxytocin, according, at least using enzyme immunoassays. And they have a human-like autonomic nervous system. They have a parasympathetic, sort of active, active parasympathetic component. This may help to explain why they're so social and why social bonds are so important in them for emotion regulation. Oxytocin can probably be released. The evidence isn't as good as it should be yet. By sexual behavior, social engagement in general, maternal behavior, paternal behavior that we've shown very clearly, or alloparental behavior. Oxytocin can also be released, and this complicates my story a little bit. It can be released by stressful events. In fact, that's the easiest way 
to get an elevation of oxytocin. Things like social challenge, forced restraint or immobility, immune challenges, and also chronic social isolation, but only in females. Oxytocin is part of a component of an adaptive coping strategy in my mind. It buffers against stressors, and these effects differ in males and females. So I try over and over, I'm always trying to kind of simplify this down to its essence. Um, I think it's a physiological metaphor for safety. I think it works through effects on the autonomic nervous system, which then affects everything. There's just nothing that the autonomic nervous system doesn't affect. Oxytocin has actions on the myelinated vagal pathways, the parasympathetic pathways, which allow social engagement, the kind of behavior that Kim saw. The prairie voles show these behaviors, and I'm not going to go through all the details except to say that oxytocin is probably mainly. Is this familiar? You too can get this and show it in your talk. What's oxytocin? Well, I think, I, I filled in the blanks that uh, Katie very nicely left for us. I think that it's the tip of a physiological iceberg of interactive systems with effects throughout the body. It's only now being recognized. I think it is a physiological metaphor for safety. I think it permits and encourages social behaviors and health and of course has consequences for survival, reproduction, and I would argue the evolution of modern humans. Thank you.